Well, good morning, LCM. Today is Father's Day, June 21st, 2020, and we'd like to congratulate all the fathers in the room. Oh, yeah. We got some first-time fathers in this place. Got some Lintonius over here, first-time dad. Got an Abimbola Deramola that's a first-time dad. We've got some others. I just want to read to you a list of the ones that I think that I got on the list. I'll ask you here in a minute to make sure that I got this right. Not only brand new fathers, like first time fathers, but we got new fathers. Like you have a child, you have had a child since last Father's Day. Here we go. Rick, Carlos, JJ, Daniel, Nick, Brandon, Nolan, Ray, Peyton, Chris, Marlon, Judah, Treaster, and in just a few minutes, Keith. So I'm throwing Keith in there. <laughs> yeah. I could have left someone out, and I apologize if I did, because that's a lot of people. Fathers, man. See, at LCM, we are, we are doing something that is special, and here's one of the main reasons that it's special. It's because we are preaching, we are developing, we are teaching a masculine holiness that says it's important for the fathers to be actual men in the room. Amen? Amen. We're here at LCM. We are creating the most loving husbands, the most tender fathers, mm. Who are also lion killers in this house. You know it. Look, today. Everybody say today. Today. You better get ready. Because we got something for you here on Father's Day. Yeah. Now, it's even better. I know this is going to be hard to believe, but it's even better than the smoked brisket that we had in the back for you. I mean, it's even Dang. better than the breakfast that we prepared for you. See, what we're going to do is we've been talking about God has been giving us such revelation as a church. Yes. He's been helping us. All the way this entire calendar year, but the truth is, is the entire existence of this church, the Lord has been helping us and revealing things to us about elevating our priesthood, about how to walk in divine dimensions, about how to go into the darkness and bring out the light of God's word. The fact that we can go and understand some of the celestial opposition that has been around us and around all of mankind. Has anybody been reading your word differently since in the last few weeks? Absolutely. You're seeing things that were there before, we just never saw them before. See, what happens when you start understanding Revelation is you have to make sure that your spiritual hygiene is in order. See, that Revelation, man, it's big and it's awesome and it starts challenging you. You get moved, you get excited. But one of the main things that the enemy likes to do, those satanic stratagems, is come in and work at you on an everyday manner while you're thinking about the big grand perspective. It's true. So we're handling both. You're getting both the big perspective and the daily needs that we have. See, like so many of the topics that we've been covering, the truth is, is we know that pride is a nasty, detestable, odorous, foul part of our lives. Somebody say pride is nasty. Pride is nasty. Today is your pastors as men who are operating as fathers in the house of the Lord. We're going to help each person to detect and destroy pride in every way. Somebody say detect. And destroy. destroy. Now you got to do that better than that. Come on now. Yeah. As a dad in the house, I know what you can do. You can do better than what you just did. We're going to say <laughs> detect and destroy together. Are you ready? Yeah. Detect, detect and, and destroy. destroy. Amen. Wow. Come on. We have been engaging celestial opposition. Haven't many of you guys found that when you're understanding this topic in the word, it's also coming to life in everyday life? That your radar is now expanded to a greater realm. And that you're constantly looking to detect and destroy. I just want to let you know, I'm good at reading pictures. I'm very good at reading pictures. So we designed a picture to help illustrate exactly what we mean by detect and destroy. Let's put up this picture and we'll read it together. Oh, hold on. Let's read this picture together. You're telling me that to detect and destroy pride, we need a DAD? We need a dad that's involved in this process. Are y'all getting it this morning? See, as fathers, we must detect and destroy pride in our own hearts so that we can begin to detect and destroy pride in our families' hearts, in our disciples' hearts, in our the community's hearts. 
Do you want to do that together with us this morning? See, this is what a dad does. This is what dads do. Dads detect and destroy all harmful agents within himself and his family. Come on, dads, you feel my drift, man. You walk into the house, you smell some foul odor. You're detecting something that's out of shalom. That's more pungent than onions and grapefruit of a 14-year-old. That there's a spiritual hygiene issue going on in, inside the realm of this house. There's got to clean this ignorance up. Oops. There's some steam cleaning that needs to happen. That's what a dad does. He detects it so he can destroy it. Go get in the shower in the name of Jesus and let's get this thing settled. That's what real dads do. See, but when we're focusing on the topic of detecting and destroying pride, there's a problem. And the problem is that pride is that you don't see it. Pride does not display itself easily, invisibly. Because pride is the very thing that blinds you from detecting its presence. And we're going to explain that in this sermon. And if you can't detect it, Guess what else you can't do? You can't destroy it. So let's begin to detect and destroy by going to Deuteronomy chapter 8. And we'll look at verse 11. I'll say detect and destroy when you get there. Detect and destroy. Detect and destroy. Verse 11. Be careful. Great words from a dad. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. Church, the word tells us that charm is deceptive. We also know, and we're telling you today, that pride is also deceptive. The word of God instructs us and says, be careful. You have to be careful not to forget the Lord. Because this is what forgetting the Lord looks like. When you begin to forget of carrying out His commands, His laws, His decrees. What happens is, is as you forget that and you get blessings. Look at verse 12. When you eat and are satisfied. When you, find, when you build fine houses. Mm -hmm. Come on now. A fine house. And settle down. Everybody say settle down. Settle down. Boy, that is the pull of the world. That is the gravity that's around us. Just settle down. Man, once you get to a certain point, you should be able to settle down. But you got to be careful because as you begin to settle down, as you begin to multiply, as, as you get enough of comfort in your life, there's a problem. Hmm. See, failing to observe his commands coupled with comfort, coupled with success. And, and this is what I'm talking about is an absence of dependency here upon the Lord, an absence of obedience that leads to your heart becoming proud. Hmm. Hey, church. The Bible doesn't say maybe your heart will become proud. It says that this is a pathway for your heart and it becomes proud. That comfort, that ease, that blessing, but it causes you and pulls you away from dependency. You got to be careful. Somebody say, be careful. Be careful. See, we're not arguing against success. You should be growing in your maturity to be able to handle both abounding or being abased in either direction. When you have plenty or when you're in want, you should be able to handle this. Amen. But when success comes upon you, it's going to reveal your true level of dependency. Whoa. Doesn't, Whoa. doesn't the word also tell us exactly in these, these type of thoughts that a man is tested by the praise he receives? Wow. Why? Because it begins to engage pride in a way that you might not be, handled, be able to handle. It might create some problems in you. See, we want you to not have a pride, proudful heart today, a proud, forgetful heart. 
We would rather, and we want to see this group of people, these lion killers, these fathers, to be more dependent on the Lord as you go forward. More obedient in the Lord. More trusting and trustworthy in what you do. And that demands that we detect and destroy any pride within our hearts today. That's true. In order for us to, to be more dependent, more obedient and trustworthy, we have to go back to that understanding of the very first word that he mentioned in Deuteronomy 8.11. Be careful. And that being careful is to make sure that you don't fall into the trap of having a proud heart. Forgetting of who God is and how he has fed you. Because success, there's nothing wrong with success. But success apart from God's commands, success apart from his fathering, his lordship, will lead into utter destruction. Because it is absent of dependency. You remember that imagery of the father holding his son in the left arm and feeding him with his right hand. Yeah. This is exactly how God treats his sons. This is how God treats you. In fact, in verse 17 of Deuteronomy 8, he continues on what that proud heart will say in the midst of success and comfort. It will say, my power and, my, and the strength of my hands have done this. Oh, man. What pride does is it begins to misalign where our success has actually come from. My hands have actually been the reason why I am where I am today. Instead of a dependency that says, it's only the hand of God that has brought me this far. See, this is what we're bringing to your attention in light of your relationship with your father. In light of the dependency that you are to have upon him. Because what the word of God mandates is for us to detect and destroy pride. So that we can be the sons and daughters that he has made us to be. Let's turn to Psalm 36, everyone. Psalm 36. We're going to continue on this idea of detecting and destroying pride in our hearts. Psalm 36 and verse 1, it says this, An oracle is within my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. You actually see on the screen maybe an ESV version, which is an interesting version. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. What are we trying to get, whether we're talking about an oracle in the NIV or other translation where it speaks about transgression speaking? You are getting an internal dialogue. The Word of God is exposing what is on the inside of people and the struggle that they're going through. No, man, I'm good. I've got everything good. I am no need of judgment for me. Why? There's no fear of God before this person's eyes. There's a discussion going on and there's no actual fear on the inside and that leads us to verse 2. For in his own eyes, he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his own sin. Detect or destroy his own sin is caused by flattery. When you're flattering yourself too much. Now we all have a pretty good idea of what the word flattery is. But let me tell you the origins of some of these words in the Hebrew. The origins in flattery talk about dividing. You would think that it would talk about exalting. It talks about dividing. To segment. Here we go. Let's put it in a, another English term for us. The compartmentalization of your life. No, 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 no. I know that that may be sin, but look, I'm doing good. I got my work life over here. I got my, my church life over here. I got my family life over here. When you start compartmentalizing, you're beginning to flatter yourself immediately. That is the part of flattery that starts to get into us. We're dividing, we're segmenting, we're compartmentalizing. I know that I have giant sin over here, but I'm going to kind of ignore that that's there. I'm going to close the door to that room and we're just not going to talk about it. And then I can stay and stand flat footed and say, I'm fine. I'm, I don't even need to detect anything, much less destroy it. I'm totally fine. Flattery. You're flattering yourself in your own eyes. And you know what another one of the terms for flattery is in the Hebrew concept? Is to smooth. The word smooth comes in. Anybody good at smoothing anything over? Okay, there was some nervous laughter because you know exactly who I'm talking about. <laughs> Don't look at me. <laughs> if I say yes, then am I flattering myself? I'm confused right now. <laughs> Let me go back to my compartmentalization. Pastor, I, can't, I, <laughs> I oh, can't smooth this over. I only do that in my work life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm. 
Touche, Pastor. Touche. It reminds me of a, of a proverb that says, with the, where there are many words, sin is not absent. Hey, how much do you like to smooth over what you do? Mm. That's flattery and pride manifesting itself in your life. It is. Here's how it, sometimes it works. Sometimes there's some of us in the room, we know we did it, you know we know we did it, and we just kind of just want to talk our way out of it. We want to smooth ourselves. Come on, we want to be a salesman, just excellent, get this done and get it smooth. Here's another way that this manifests towards us. You're selective in what you tell somebody because you've compartmentalized it in such a way that you don't want to tell us the full picture of what happened. You want to tell us little bitty parts of it or the parts that kind of lean you are supposed to lean us towards what you've already decided. Yep. That's flattery. I know I didn't tell you the whole story, Pastor. I was expecting you to get like a word of knowledge or something to correct me, even though I already know that I'm wrong. I wanted to see how godly and prophetic you really were. So I hid it from you. <laughs> and we've compartmentalized that is not even a problem. We're just smoothing Ooh. that over. See, the problem is, is that this causes, this very verse says that you can't detect or hate or destroy your own sin. Mm. That is the consequence of flattering yourself. Now, by the way, you understand that not all this is just external speech, but it's an internal attitude of your heart. Right. It's what you're doing that has caused deceit to come upon you. Let's turn to Psalm 18. We're going to learn how to detect it right now. You don't have to wait till the end of the service to figure out how to get over flattery. We're going to tell it to you right now. Come on. You are welcome. <laughs> Psalm 18, verse 27 says this. You save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are haughty. Now, let me explain something to you. When we're talking about humble, when we're talking about humility here, we're going to be able to define this over the course of time. But I want to encourage you. You may be humble in one area of your life. You may have learned humble speech, but have a prideful, flattering heart. Ooh. See, we got to get at detecting it and destroying Amen. it. God saves the humble, but brings low those whose eyes are full of flattery, full of pride. See, this haughty, flattering, pride-filled eyes starts from the fact that we don't really have a fear of God. We think that we are just that good, just that smart, just that likable, or just that talented that we're going to just go ahead and do what we want to do and try to just smooth it over. Oh, wow. Look at verse 28. You, O oh Lord, keep my lamp burning. Give me oil in my lamp. Keep me burning. Burning, burning, burning. My God turns my darkness into light. There he does. See, when you flatter yourself too much to be able to detect... Too much to be able to destroy what's going on inside of you. When you humble yourself, when you allow this to work out in your life, you see the lamp of God's Word burning and giving you direction for your life. You see your darkness. That which you could not see is now seen in the light of God. Which is, by the way, where this very chapter goes, uh, where Psalm 36 goes. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. You know what that says? This is how you destroy it. Yeah. See, verse 27 and 28 tell you how to detect it, but 29 tells you how to destroy it. Amen. That you're able to destroy the pride that's going on. Man, we need some priests in this house who learn what real godly humility looks like. Amen. It's not deferring to someone to go first inside the door before you. It's learning a humility that says, I know who I'm called to be. I know that I have the power of the heavens, but I know that the power rests because I'm connected to the heavens. Man, we need some protectors in this house who are full of the light of God's word. Amen. We need some providers who don't just provide financially for your family, not just with resources, but you're providing direction because you see clearly. You're, you're, gave, you're giving them the strength to destroy the enemy in their own lives that you can then scale a wall. You can advance against a troop that you have everything you need because you've let pride die and you're walking as a humble man before the Lord. The power of humility is amazing. And it, there's a level of dependency that's attached to it. Well, reflecting back on Psalm 36 too, a man who flatters himself, it leads to him not being able to detect and hate or destroy his own sin. And like Pastor said, that's a compartmentalization. That's a smoothing over. But in addition to that aspect, 
Let me add one more to that. It's blinding. Pride is deceptive and pride is blinding. So let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to read verse 6. Say detect and destroy when you're there. So in 1 Timothy 3.6, it reads, He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. Wow, whoa, that escalated quickly. He'll become conceited and fall underneath the same judgment of the devil. Let me put this in context for you. The writer of this book is Paul, and he's writing to Timothy. Paul is speaking to his son in the faith. And by writing this, Paul is being a DAD for his son. He's being a real dad that detects and destroys. He's laying out for Timothy the guidelines for an overseer that's in the church. Something that is a high aspirational pursuit for any man of God. We say, hey, don't make, make sure it's not a recent convert who steps into this position of authority. Because the first thing that's going to happen, a stratagem of Satan, is going to be being puffed up with pride. Becoming conceited. And becoming conceited to the point that you now, as a recent convert, are falling under the same judgment as the devil. It's almost like we have been learning about these heavenly powers, these celestial oppositions, these archon, these rulers that have fallen because of their pride. And what they seek to do is take the very image of God, you, and tear you down with the same exact tool. If I'm going to go down burning, you're going to come down with me. That's the attitude that these powers have. And the satanic stratagem is to utilize pride to accomplish that. Now, this isn't just for recent converts, right? No, this is for all of us to pay attention to. The thing about a recent convert is that they're very prone to it. They haven't learned the art and the skill of spiritual warfare and subduing their sinful nature, and particularly pride, again and again. They're looking to older men to find humility and how to emulate it. This word for conceited, I want to show you here on a slide. Conceded is Strong's number 5187. And I'm going to pronounce this carefully for you. It is Tuf-O-O. I, I think Elder John taught Pastor Matt that word the other day. Tuf-O-O. <laughs> it matches some other words we learn in foreign countries like uh, Bobby Water and Sing Sing. But this Tuf-O-O, this Greek word, not only means to inflate with self-conceit, but do you see what's highlighted here? To envelop with smoke. Wow, when you're walking around in this self-inflated conceit, you are filled with a blinding smoke. You can't see past the nose on your face. In fact, this word is a derivative of Strong's number 5188, which means to slowly consume without flame. Whoa, whoa. So when we put this together, when you're walking around with self-induced conceit, that you're really walking around in a slow burn that leads to death, that there isn't this flash fire to let everybody know that you're just all puffed up and proud, but instead it's that transgression that's rolling on the wheels of your mind and your heart that nobody hears about. And there's just this little bit of smoke that comes out your ears and nostrils and people aren't sure if somebody just vaped or that's just your anger. (laughs) Probably both around here. Probably so. Probably both. But you're walking around with this slow burn that's consuming you and you don't even know it. This smoke that's blinding you to see your own condition. And it may require a very tool that Jesus used with his chief disciple. See, whenever Peter came up to Jesus, pulled him aside and rebuked him about the will of the Father taking place in Jesus' life through the crucifixion, 
Jesus turned his back to him and said, get behind me, Satan. What he was doing is that he was rescuing his chief disciple. He was rescuing his recent convert and saying, don't you dare be conceited. That comes from the pit of hell and that will lead to eternal judgment. I want you to repent of it so that you can have right perspective and no longer have in mind the things of men, but instead have in mind the things of God. Peter goes on to write. In fact, go with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's look at what this man of God who was rebuked actually put down for us. 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Go ahead, Annie. Get it. He says, young men. Whoa, what kind of men? Young men. In the same way, be submissive to those who are older. See, having gone through the process of becoming humbled several times and now making disciples of his own, he's giving instruction to the people in the church of God of what it takes and destroy pride. And he's addressing one of the more vulnerable areas inside of a church. And that's the hearts and minds of young men. In the hearts and minds of young men, it's almost expected that there is pride. It's normal. It's a default. Either in an outward fashion, because they want to prove how insecure they're really not. How weak they're really not. Or they want to hold it all on the inside. And as long as I stay still and standing in the shadows, no one will notice exactly how imperfect I really am. Please don't ask me for a scripture string. Ask the guy on my left or right. But on the inside, riddled with this same level of pride. The solution to destroy this pride is to be submissive to those who are older. Yoke yourself to a way of life that you can trust and know its course and direction. Yoke yourself to a man of God who has done this before, who has put pride underneath his feet, who has detected and destroyed it. Get yourself a dad. Get some fatherly voice in your life and learn how to follow the living God, your heavenly father, as you follow your spiritual father. He goes on to say, look, this is not just young men. It continues with all of you. Everybody that's reading this scripture needs to do the exact same thing. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Come on now. See, when he's addressing all of you, the truth is pride, it is existent in young men. But it's honestly more prevalent in older men. See, as you get older, it's no longer about if I have what it takes to do this. It's do I still have what it takes to do this? There are some fathers in our faith that we've gleaned some very, very good statements from. One of them is Raja Israel the pastor of the church in, in Chennai, India. And he told us, he said, after the age of 60, men demand more respect than God does. Ooh. I'm only 44, and that hit me right between the eyes. I got to detect and destroy pride now so that it doesn't devour me then. There was another man of God nearly 25 years ago in a small home meeting that share with us another principle. His name was Prem Pradom. He was from Nepal. And he shared with us, he said, remember, when pride comes in, the power goes out. When pride comes in, the power goes out. And I was sitting there as a 17-year-old young man. I went, oh, yeah, that's good. That's really good. I wrote it down. Pay attention to it. Remember from you know year to year. But I can tell you that that verse, or I mean, that statement comes alive to me more and more every day of my life. Because the level at which we're at war with the satanic stratagem of pride. It continues in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. So Peter is laying it out very clear. Look, humility is required for all to detect and destroy the effects of pride. And the promise is God will lift you up in due time, which points to what does pride actually want to do? 
It wants to destroy you by lifting you up ahead of time. Isn't that the very satanic stratagem that Satan used with Jesus in Luke 4 and Matthew 4? Oh, bow your knee to me. Worship me. I'll give you all these kingdoms because they were given to me. Just humble yourself before this archon. But yet it is pride in every regard. See, but whenever you are detecting and destroying pride, you are then replacing it with humility, which allows God's right hand to put you in the right place at the right time. What a sweet place to be. I'll be standing in the center of God's will, and you know that you are fully in line, in shalom with the Father, and not submitting to anything else. Anybody ever been like me and wanted something before the due time? Yes. Anybody ever gotten yourself in trouble because you went and moved forward before due time? See, what happens is that is a clear sign of pride. You might be thinking it's a lot of other reasons, but the Bible says it's clear. If you humble yourself in due time, God will exalt you to the place that you need to be in. He will move you where you need to be. But what happens is we get full of pride and we want to get there by ourselves. See, we cannot be exalting ourselves. We have to humble ourselves. Man, we don't want to be blinded by pride, consumed without a flame. Not just smoke on the water, but smoke in our eyes. Man, you got to get this right. It reminds me of Revelation 9, where it talks about that members of the whole world were there doing the greatest tribulation that the world has ever seen, but they did not repent of their work. It didn't matter that the whole world was actually on fire because they were still smoldering from that smokiness of what was going on on their heart. Because you can rest assured that though there may not be fire there now, there will be a fire of judgment that comes if you don't handle pride rightly. Did you get what Pastor said? Peter was called Satan. Why? Because he was being prideful and trying to correct Jesus as he was he had just been given revelation. At least that's just Peter, right? Let's turn to Second Chronicles chapter 26. Second Chronicles chapter 26 and verse 16. I just want to tell y'all on this great Father's Day that Annie Clement is beating all of you to the scriptures. She is either just saying it without turning to it or she's beating all of you here in this room. And without tabs. And without tabs. There you go. Second Chronicles chapter 26 and verse 16 says this. But after Uzziah became powerful... His pride led to his downfall. Well, thank you, Bible, for putting it so succinctly. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple to burn incense on the altar of incense. See, we read to you a while back about Uzziah just the other day. We talked to you about the 80 priests who confronted him about what he was doing and how prideful he was being. And all he did in return was rage at those priests. But according to Deuteronomy 8, see, we know what happened. He didn't just become prideful and, and then it lead to his downfall. We know that there was a forgetting of God's promises. We know that there was a forgetting of what God had told him to do. There was a disobedience that was associated with the pride. But let's, let's set this aside for, as Uzziah aside for a second. How do we get to this point? I mean, how do we get to the point that we are absolutely sure that our biggest problem in life is when the elders and the pastors don't see your great prominence and where you should be placed? How do we get to that point where your biggest problem in life is what we think about you? Because you're pretty sure that we don't see it correctly. The answer to that is very clear. It's nothing but pride and unfaithfulness. It is. See, and by the way, what did in verse 16 here that's on the, on the screen right there at the end, what did Isaiah decide to do in his powerfully pride-filled heart? His unfaithful state? He wanted to go burn incense. Are you kidding me? Get out of my way. Just let me go. Just let me do this. Let me enter into a place where I'm not running in my own lane. I'm not doing what I've been assigned. Just get out of my way so I can fill the room with smoke for more people. This is the Hebrew equivalent of the tooth oo That have smoke-filled eyes that produce an overconfidence in us. That made this king of Judah run out of his lane. Get out of his mind. And produce a problem for everyone else and only put him towards judgment. See if he could have detected and destroyed the pride in his own heart. Let's turn to Proverbs 8 to see how we're supposed to do this. 
Man, you can't be blinded. You can't flatter yourself. You can't be overconfident in what God has put before you. An overconfidence demonstrates nothing but pride. Romans, I'm, I'm sorry, Proverbs 8, verse 12. It says this, I, wisdom, who's speaking here? Wisdom, wisdom is speaking. Interesting. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence, knowledge, and discretion. Verse 13, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, mm. evil behavior and perverse speech. How are you supposed to detect? How are you supposed to destroy this? How are you just supposed to detect this overconfidence that you have? It begins by you walking in the fear of the Lord. See, wisdom is crying out here, along with prudence, along with knowledge and discretion. By the way, what does that mean then if you're walking in pride? You have no wisdom, no prudence, no knowledge, no discretion. Those are what walks, those are the, the attributes that accompany those who fear the Lord and are walking in humility. See, but a fear of the Lord in you is going to cause you to hate evil. Somebody say hate. Hate. Man, that's not a very pleasant word, is it? No. You're not just hating evil in general. You are specifically hating pride and arrogance. And you're not just hating it in other people. Anybody hate it when someone's proud around you? I mean, those are just your favorite people in the world, right? The problem is, is our pride can hate it in someone else and coddle it in ourselves. Wow. We smooth it over, we compartmentalize, we're blind to it, whatever it is, the case. See, this kind of pride and arrogance that causes evil behavior. It's not excusable behavior, it's evil behavior when it's motivated by this. But now that you've detected it, now that you understand that the fear of the Lord helps us to see this rightly, there's supposed to be a hatred that starts to be built up in you about any level of pride. You know what, Pastor Matt and I were praying this morning? Lord, we cannot preach a message on pride if we are walking in pride. Lord, we're asking that you help us to detect and destroy pride in us this morning. We did not come in here presuming that we have none. We came in here presuming and asking the Lord to show us so that we can destroy it. Any, any level, any area. Turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. There's so much of this that we can gather, but we're going to look at verse 6. Good job, AJ. Here we go. Verse 7 says, submit yourselves then to God. Do you hear how the constant answer to pride is for you to submit? The constant answer for pride is for you to be humble? Yeah. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. How do you submit yourself to God? You actually walk in a fear of the Lord. And this is not just only a reverence, a inner uh, holiness, understanding of who God is. You're actually afraid that he might judge you. You might be smoking. Anybody like smoked meat? Brisket. Anybody like a little smoked brisket? Yeah. See, there's something about that smokiness that might taste good to us, though. But what is it? It's actually... <laughs> it is finishing judgment on the inside of you without there having to be a flame in that moment. The flame is far enough away that you're not paying attention to it. It's the smoke that's doing the work. How dangerous is this for us? It's almost like the Word of God should tell us to be careful about our hearts yeah. becoming proud. Oh, that's exactly what it did. But the Word says to submit yourselves. Have the fear of the Lord going. Then you resist the devil. Then you begin to hate this evil, this pride, and this arrogance. And the devil will flee from you. The enemy will flee. That smoke will clear. Your eyes will open. You'll be lifted up to the right place. But it has to be in this order. Look in verse 10. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. Come on, you know that that's in the perfect time. you got to humble yourself so that you can have dependency on the Father. So that you can detect and destroy every bit of pride in our hearts. Oh, did you hear the pastor mention the word dependency? So let's go back to James 4, 7. I want to point something out real quick. So we have really a, a very clear progression of how to engage celestial opposition. Submit yourselves, then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee for you. So if I hear you right, Pastor, what you're saying through this scripture is that if I just run to go and to combat resisting the devil, 
that I can't expect the outcome of, of him fleeing from me because I haven't first submitted to God. Yeah. Submitting it's, is the first step to this. It's almost like there are seven sons in the book of Acts that tried to cast out demons but hadn't first submitted themselves to God and ended up naked and bleeding and running away. Oh, how many times have you engaged in spiritual warfare and you're just getting your rear end handed to you? It's destroying you. And then you go back to step one. You submit yourself to God. Then you begin to resist in His will, in His way, based on a dependency upon the heavenly host. Based on a dependency of the leadership that God's put around you. And then you begin to detect and destroy those things in the heavenly realms. Do you want to be powerful this morning? Where it requires you to be dependent. And there's another layer and aspect we want to share with you that is the opposite of dependent. And that is self-sufficient. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 17. We'll start in verse 5. At least nobody in this room has any, has ever had any issues with self-sufficiency. I'm going to be honest with you this morning. I am preaching to me. And to you. You're welcome. <laughs> so get this. Jeremiah 17 verse 5 in the Nesby. Amen. Thus says the Lord. Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind. And makes flesh his strength. And whose heart turns away from the Lord. For he will be like a bush in the desert. And will not see when prosperity comes. But will live in stony waste in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. Now, the first thing I want to point out, what I just read, is that in verse 5, cursed is the man. Not the men, not the group of men, the man. That there is an isolated declaration here. It's just one guy. One guy who is self-sufficient. Trusting in his own strength, his own method, his own means to see God's will done in his life. See, the pride of self-sufficiency, it seeks to prove itself to itself and everyone else without any help. I am going to go build a house all by myself. And while I'm doing it, I will indict everyone who will not run to help me. But when they show up, I'll tell them they have nothing to do. Oh, I, this may be a little bit, you know, too, uh, too off uh, subject of being able to relate to. How about this? Just about the attitude that says, I got this. Oh, now we're getting into realm of both men and women, right? See, this isn't just a dude thing. It's that attitude that says, if I let you help. It means that I actually need it. Oh, oh, just got me, Pastor, in the heart. Anybody difficult to help in this room? Oh, right here. Oh, absolutely. This guy. And look, in addition to the I got this attitude, here's how it plays out. Internally, not externally, it says, hmm, it's actually more work for me to include you than it is to just do it myself and get it done. Searing. That hurts, Pastor. Ugh. But let me make this clear. The pride of self-sufficiency, it prevents you from detecting times of prosperity. So what we read in that verse is, and it will not see when prosperity comes. It's that blinding effect. And this is exactly how. You can't see when the Lord is actually trying to give you disciples that you need to develop. You only see them as distractions. And that discipleship can range from men and women that the Lord has put in your lives or maybe the ones that are growing up in your own household. Ministry flows from the home. How you disciple your children will be how you disciple grown adults. In addition to that, you can't see the Lord's mighty hand that is trying to give you a blessing. It can't see the prosperity. You only see what your own strength is accomplishing that you're not being honored for. So, like we said earlier, 
when it comes to pride and that compartmentalization. That's just my work life, right? So the promotions that I get there, the accomplishments that I have, the success that I have, that's what I did with my strength. And I don't need anybody's help to speak into my life as it regards my work life. And But the whole time on the inside, you're grumbling. You're grumbling about not being paid for what you do extra. Well, then why do you do extra? Are, are, are you doing extra because it's an expression of your own self-sufficiency that you want to prove to yourself that you're actually good enough and not weak? Are you doing extra because it's an honor to do so before your God that what you're doing unto men is because you're doing it unto God? Wow. You're not looking for a paycheck from men. You're looking for glory from your Father. Yeah. See, the truth is, the fear of the Lord enables you to begin to detect and destroy the pride of self-sufficiency. And this is how it continues in Jeremiah 17, verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water, that extends its roots by a stream, and will not fear when heat comes. But its leaves will be green, and it will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. See, church, the fear of the Lord will direct you to daily depend on Him to give you what you need to give to your disciples. There is no lack whenever you begin with the fear of the Lord. But there will be lack when you begin with the pride of self-sufficiency. The way you detect and destroy this is to have the fear of the Lord, the one that will harness the humility that's required to give all honor to your heavenly Father for any level of success that's out there. You know, God is concerned about the small things as well as the big things. That the very small things of success that happen in your life are still credited to Him. He deserves the honor for. Because without Him, you couldn't have any level of success. Dependency on the Father is the key to detecting and destroying pride. Come on now, church. If you've ever been difficult to help, did you view that as pride? Mm -mm. Probably not. Mm -mm. Look, this is my responsibility. I'm going to do this. But if you're like me, you've been very, very difficult to help in your life because you've been very, very self-sufficient. And over the course of time, you begin to hold things against your brother, against your sister. Why won't they help me? Why won't they come and and do what I need? Because you've been a really, really bad friend. Because you've been full of pride the whole time and you've been calling it something else. Because every time someone comes to help you, you stiff arm them right in their face. Mm. See, that pride doesn't cause that as you're causing it. It doesn't allow you to see that. What you start doing is, man, there's something wrong with everybody else. Look, we've got just two more verses before we start working in our, in our, towards our close here. Are you guys getting some of these things? You all agreed at the beginning of the service that pride is a bad thing. We could have said pride is bad. Don't do it. Amen. <laughs> But because it's blinding, because it has a smoky effect to it, you don't see it. You don't, you're, right. t- you're flattering yourself, and you don't even know that it's there. How can you destroy it unless we're trying to get to where we can detect it? We got, I, got, I got one more passage before we start to close here. Let's turn to Habakkuk chapter 2. Mm. Oh, yeah, you know. Here it comes. Man, if you are like us, your heart is pierced because you realize there's a lot more pride in us than we've ever given it credit for. We can both be insecure in certain areas and prideful in others. It's not like you're either one or the other. It's because we've compartmentalized. Yeah. We've, we've taken branches off of this. Look at Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 4. Say detect and destroy when you get there. Habakkuk 2, 4 and 5. Habakkuk 2 says this, see, he is puffed up. Somebody say, that's pride. That's pride. And his desires are not upright. See, when you've got pride going on in your heart, instead of delighting yourself in the Lord and him giving you the desires of your heart, when you are puffed up, whether that's the knowledge that puffs up or some other reason that you've been puffed up, your desires get warped. You get a warped perspective. 
You want what you want. You want to smooth it over. And you may be blind or overconfident or just being plain self-sufficient. But it warps your desires. But the righteous person will live by his faith. We're going to come back to that. Verse 5. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant. He is arrogant and never at rest. Are you telling me that a prideful heart causes you to never find rest? Always anxious, always stirring, always troubled. He is arrogant and never at rest. Listen to the reason. Because he is as greedy as the grave. Mm. There are some things that we try to work at as pastors. There are some things that the word just tells you. You want to use this homiletic? You're as greedy as the grave. What does that mean? A grave can never be filled with enough death. It just keeps swallowing death over and over and over again. There's nothing that can satisfy when you're not at rest. And your arrogance is causing that. And like death is never satisfied. My God, what is it like to never be at rest in your thoughts? What is it like? The problem is, is we know exactly what it's like. Always churning, always worried. I promise you those are the areas and the results of the pridefulness in our heart. We become insatiable. Never enough praise. I'm just insecure. You might be being prideful in this. You can never receive enough affirmation. You can never receive enough good things coming your way. There's always something else. Whatever you get, you immediately think about what you don't have. Never satisfied. That's insatiable. It causes you to be as greedy as the grave. You've never been used enough. You've never had a grand enough revelation. You're embarrassed at your little one scripture that you hand to somebody. Why? Did God give it to you or not? That's a good word. That's pride. You're insatiable. It's shown in how much you feel like you deserve from other people. I deserve this. I mean, after all, I just am trying to get what I deserve. Look at how the verse goes on. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. Always gathering people to be like-minded with you and your insatiable nature. Have you ever sat in a corner of the room and not just wanted, but felt like you deserved people to come your direction? Have you ever tried to step out and be a good leader, but you led in a direction and no one followed you and you were mad at them for not following you? You're actually just submitting to your own pride then. You want others to get draw close to you instead of you drawing close to the Lord and to the leaders that God put in your life and to the people that God put around you. Believe me, we are not looking for just some extra level of authority. We're not just looking for something else to do because we don't have to have enough to do in a day. But what God has told us is that we must submit to the Lord. And by doing that, we submit to those over us, those around us and those with us. Always learning. Come on now. Let's just we're, we're, we're about to we're about to close this out here just shortly. So stay with me for just a second. Have you been here ever learning but never really growing? I promise you those areas in your life are where you've been pride-filled. Not just hearing what we're saying. Are you becoming what you're seeing? I'm learning the lingo. I'm learning the talk. I can say just about what Pastor Matt can say. I can get this, man. I mean, I can do this. I know what you're saying. I can repeat it back to you before you tell it to me. Yes, but are you becoming what we are? Are you becoming the example that you see before you? Are you becoming like Elder John? That's a yes or no question. In the areas that you're not. See, if you're compartmentalizing, go, yeah, I'm kind of getting there. What areas are you not doing that? Yeah. Maybe it's because you're insatiable in what's going on. You have to be able to detect. Maybe you do this. Maybe you hear advice from your pastors. 
from your elders and you just decide it's not really worth taking right now. You smile. Thank you, Pastor. What a kind word. That's such clear direction, Pastor. Thank you so much. And you walk off with no intention of changing anything in your life. Or maybe in this. Pastor, that is two-thirds of really good stuff. (laughs) That other one-third, I think I'm not going to do because I don't want to. Particularly that part where you said, I need to go make shalom, not just keep shalom. Because that's too difficult for me to do, and I don't want to do that right now. Church, the righteous are going to live by faith. We're not going for a totalitarian society. We're a family. And we're being honest with you and speaking honestly and openly with you. There are some in in this church that are not growing in the way that you should. Why? Part of it is because of pride. You're like, I like 82.3% of what you say and the other percentage. I'm just keeping it. I'm going to do it my way. That is 100% pride in your heart. We like, I mean, we see a lot of good things. I just, I think you guys are too intense. I think you say some things that I don't really like and I just wouldn't say it that way. Okay. The righteous person will live, verse 4, the righteous person will live by his faith. See, you've got to have trust-grounded obedience in the Word and the Spirit. That is what we're lifting up here. Amen. You've got to have trust-grounded obedience to the discipleship that you have received. You've got to have trust-grounded obedience on the way of life that you've been given. Jesus says in Matthew 11, Take my yoke upon you. Take my way of life upon you. Why? Because I am gentle and humble in heart. He's like, I don't have pride in me. I'm telling you, you need to be like me. That's not proud. That's actually humble. Because this is what you're going to need to find rest, to cure that insatiable worry that you have, that you're never enough, that you can't do it, that you're already pretty sure you're going to fail. Some of those things sound like fear, and they may be, but they're also pride in your heart, and you've got to get your eyes clear today so that you can see it. Think about Acts 2.44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Do you know how you start beating the insatiable nature that's inside of you? You start giving to the people around you. Come on. You start saying, I know what I, if I need this, if I'm feeling a little lonely, you know what I need to do? I need to go out and I need to find somebody else. I need to go to them instead of waiting Amen. for them to come to me. Amen. I need to go out and be what I think that I need, what I think that I deserve. I'm going to go do that for someone else. Amen. The believers in Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves to each other. They devoted themselves to the word and to each other. And it caused their pride to die. When I got to look at Nick and be like, Nick, I don't know how to do this. Would you help me? And he helps me. It makes my pride die, but it makes the glory of God rise up. If I go, Trista, man, I don't know how to do this. Can you talk to me for a minute? And he helps me. I let my pride die and God rises. And then I begin to live in righteousness by my faith. By the faith that God has entrusted to us. Come on now. we got to have ultimate dependency on the Father. Because that is the key to detecting and destroying pride. We've got to have dependency on each other. We've got to say, I'd rather you know that I don't have it all together. What a ridiculous thought. Here's a little newsflash. As your pastors, we know that nobody has it all together. That's why we're here to help you. You're welcome. That's why your pastors need each other. That's why you see it modeled in our church. We don't do things by ourselves. How many times have you asked me something? I'm like, I don't know. Let me go check with Pastor Matt. I can make my own decisions, but I choose to submit myself to my brother because I've already submitted myself to the Lord and I know how to do it. I'll submit myself to him and we'll give you a better answer than either one of us by ourselves. We're saying, yeah, we might not get it right, but together we got a better chance. And when these things, these guys are together and we're together with him, we know we're going to give you the right answer. Amen. But that's just for us, right? Oh, no, no, no. That's for all of us to be able to do this. More than a better answer, we can give you guys a better sermon. (laughs) That's how this thing was put together. It was by us depending on the Father, by depending on each other. You know what the solution really is? We need dads in our life. 
every person in this room, every person listening to this message, you need a godly dad in your life. A voice that is, can speak into your mind and heart that will detect and destroy the satanic stratagems that are aimed at your heart and your mind. And here's why. I'm going to read this verse to you. You want to put it up. It's 1 John 3, verse 8. And it says it just right to the heart. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. See, we're taking on his identity. We're taking on his yoke, his way of life. And what we are giving you is that same call, is that same mandate. Yeah, you better believe it. Y'all better be listening up in here. Because we came to destroy the devil's work. In order to do so, you have to be in a place of humility that can detect it so that you can destroy it. Let's put up this slide here. I want to remind you that we are seeking to detect and destroy pride that wants to bring compartmentalization, a smoothing over, a blindness, an overconfidence, a self-sufficiency, an insatiable nature. And how you do this is through dependency on the Father. See, the standard is the same for us as it is Jesus. He had to be holy, 100% dependent upon the Father. So therefore, we have that same mandate. We must continue his mission of being D-A-D, detecting and destroying. Turn with me to Hebrews 5, and we'll read verse 7. Let's see how the perfect Son of God detected and destroyed the devil's works. During his life, I'm sorry, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, He offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. See, Jesus demonstrated for us the process that it takes to detect and destroy pride. And that's submitting, submitting to God, then resisting the devil and then watching him flee. The very thing that James 4, 7 wrote about, he demonstrated at its ultimate and superior form. But let me ask you this. If you agree that Jesus is this model of being a DAD, that he is the standard for your life, then why do you argue and grumble with God when his spirit is leading you to live up to it? You're more than this. No, I'm not. You can be more than this. I don't want to be. But I agree that this is the standard. See, that's a war within us that we have to win. That's a war within us that we have to detect and destroy pride within. And the way that we do that is that we start by having a humility that is a dependency on Heavenly Father, willing to do His will above our own. The last two words in this verse give you everything you need to know. He was heard because of not just submission, but a reverent submission. It's one thing to make a pledge. It's another thing to carry out that pledge. What we're not asking you today is make a pledge to let pride die inside of you. We're not asking you to make a pledge that one day in the future you will detect and destroy the things that are causing you to have smoke-filled eyes. We're not asking you to pledge that. You've already pledged it. You've already done that. If you're a believer in this house, you've done it, and you've done it more than once. And yet, if you heard today, if you were listening, then what you should have heard was specific examples in your life where you thought you had already made the pledge, you knew you already made the pledge, but the actual reverent submission was not in operation. I'm going to ask that you stand to your feet and we're going to read one scripture together before we begin to pray. We're not asking you to pledge something today. We're asking you to detect and destroy the pride in your life today. If you will, Olivia, you put a, a Isaiah 33, 6 on the screen for us. It says this. He, the Lord will be the sure foundation for your times. 
There's no shakiness that you need to have because he's the sure foundation. A rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. Reverent submission is the key to what we need today. It's not another pledge. It's saying, Lord, I'm going to begin to operate in a reverent submission that I have yet to do. I've pledged it to you many times. I've talked about it before. And in some areas, the parts that I haven't compartmentalized, I may even be doing it a little bit. But I cannot continue to be difficult to help and say that that's not pride. I can't be blinded and flattered by my own self trying to smooth things over and say that that's not pride. I can't be overconfident in an area. No, man, I got this. Self-sufficient. Man, I'll do this all by myself. Insatiable. Never at rest. And not acknowledge what's really there. We're trying to encourage you today to be what God sent you here to be. That is so different than learning. We're saying that there's a way of life that God has placed you in. And if you haven't been valuing that, I'm saying to you now that's because of pride in your own heart. You got a better way. Contrary to all evidence, you have your own way and you're just better at it than what the church is. You're not better than the church. You're here so that you can find out this way of life. You can die to your pride and you can have reverent submission to the one who can help you to detect and destroy pride in your life. Mighty God, we come before you right now asking that you move upon our hearts. Lord, we don't just need another pledge. Lord, we need you to destroy these prideful areas in us. We need you to move in our hearts in a way that says, Lord, enough of the pride. It's clouding our eyes. We're flattering ourselves and thinking that we can just smooth it over and it'll be okay with you. Lord, reveal to us. Lord, let us detect and destroy. And we know the answer. We know the solution is to have reverent submission. That is the key that Jesus had. And that's the key that you're giving us. To have the fear of the Lord that is the key to unlocking this submission that will cause us to destroy pride in our lives. Let pride be destroyed in us today, God. Every bit of it. Every ounce of it, Lord. Lord, that we will become what you intend for us to become in this house. Lord, that we will not be guilty of ever learning, but never really growing. Crush our pride today.